Every church wants its congregants to study the Bible, but few realize that we first need to see the Bible as Jewish literature. Our guest today is the director of a fast-growing international Bible study network that reveals the wisdom, insight, and knowledge of the scriptures as God intended in their original Jewish context. Messiah Podcast is brought to you by First Fruits of Zion, reconciling disciples with God's prophetic promises to Israel. Put your hand in mine together. We will walk in harmony. Let me introduce you to my teacher, the rabbi from the Galilee. Well, welcome everybody to the inaugural episode of season three of Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. I'm Jacob Franzek and I'm here with my guest, director of Tour Club, Damien Eisner. Wait a minute. My former co-host is here, Damien. I thought you were done with this. I thought you were donezo, gonzo. I, I could never, I couldn't leave you. I had to just, <laughs> I, I had to come back. I had to be here. Well, today you're actually here as a guest because we're introducing a brand new co-host, a brand new colleague, a brand new staff member here at First Fruit Design, and the new producer of Messiah Podcast. She's from Chicago. She lives in North Carolina. She's worked for some pretty heavy-hitting Messianic Jewish organizations in the past. She's a Messianic Jewish woman. She's a new mom, and she's here to take the podcast to the next level. Here she is. <laughs> Welcome, Stephanie Hammond. Wow, with an introduction like that, how can you go wrong? I am so glad to be here. Thank you, Jacob, Damien. Always great to speak with you as well. I'm so excited to have you here, Stephanie. I'm looking forward to this season and seasons beyond and the great work and great contributions that you're bringing. Oh, thank you so much. That's very kind. And um, uh, you are definitely always welcome to come back. There's plenty to talk with you about. I would love to pick your brain on several topics, actually. So the door is always open, Damien. Good. I'll I'll come back. So, uh, Stephanie, our guest today is the director of Tour Club. But maybe before you and I interview him, perhaps he and I will interview you, the new producer of Messiah Podcast, and give you a chance to share a little bit about yourself, tell the people who you are, your background, your faith, your hopes and dreams, all this and more after the break. If you want to know the Jewish Jesus, don't miss out on a free subscription to Messiah Magazine, where you'll discover his life and teaching, learn about the biblical festivals, and get connected with Israel. Subscribe for free at messiahmagazine.org. Messiah Magazine is a free, donation-supported quarterly publication of First Fruits of Zion. Well, welcome back to Messiah Podcast. Welcome, Stephanie and Damien. Meet the new co-host. Not the same as the old co-host, but you do have some stuff in common. For example, you're both followers of Jesus. You're both Jewish people. And more than that, you're Messianic Jews which is slightly different than just being a Jewish person who's a follower of, of Yeshua, of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That and, is correct. So I'm interested to know, but well, I'm not going to ask how you became Jewish because that, I mean, hopefully people know that. But um, 
how, how did you both end up in the Messianic Jewish movement? We got two generations of of, uh, of Messianic Jews here. I thought maybe we could hear the story from from a couple of different generations. All right, Stephanie, beauty before age. All right. So my mother is a Jewish believer in Yeshua. My dad is a Gentile believer in Yeshua. My mom's family, uh, through her father's side, actually, that's where the Jewish ancestry comes from. His family was Jewish. They came from a country called Croatia at the turn of the century uh, to here to America and settled down in Chicago. They wanted to forget their Jewish identity. They wanted to hide it, keep it under wraps. In fact, it turned out to be this big family secret. And um, my mom's cousin always tells the story about how he was sitting around the dinner table with all the relatives and one of the uh, one of the uncles who married in said to him, you know, they're all just a bunch of Jews, right? <laughs> and, nice. And uh, he's like, uh, no, I, I didn't know that. He's just a kid, you know? So he asks his aunt, hey, are we, are we Jewish? And she's like, oh, shh, where did you hear that? Don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. And um, well, of course he- It's always the uncle. It's always the, the uncle who spills the beans. But anyway, no, my mom's, my mom's family, despite wanting to hide their Jewish identity, her aunts became believers very early on, and they were actually fairly involved with the Messianic movement as it took shape in the modern era. Because as we all know, it's been, it's been around for much longer than that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> as it took shape in America in the 50s and 60s, um, they, were, they were very involved with that. So my, mom's, my mom had a desire to reconnect with her heritage as a Jewish person and to reconcile that with her faith in Yeshua, uh, which her aunts did fairly well. So she and my dad raised me in a Messianic Jewish community and congregations. Uh, we kind of hopped back and forth between the congregations and churches until I was about 10. And then we made a commitment to the Messianic movement and lifestyle. And I've been a part of it ever since. Well, that's cool. You grew up in this thing. That's, uh, you know, there's, I won't say there's not a lot, but it's, it's always fun to meet someone who grew up. So there's a whole difference, right, in, in like Jewish culture between someone who's sort of from, from birth and someone who, who's a, a Baal Teshuva. He came in like at a later age, you know, the, the whole first generation of, of Messianic Jews, a lot of them were, you know, they, they started it. So they're kind of like, they're kind of like BTs. And then you have the next generation who's for, for whom a lot of these things are just normal. It seems normal to be a Messianic Jew because that's what you've always been. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Damien, your, your story is different. Were you, were you part of that generation in the fifties and sixties? Who was, uh, no, that's enough. Oh, that's enough. <laughs> I meant it as a compliment. Oh, my goodness. No, my story is sort of the opposite story of that in that I was raised, um, there was no, this this word sounds harsh, I don't mean it this way, but like denial. I was raised in a Jewish home, started off in the Orthodox synagogue. That sort of changed as my parents aged and careers and everything took precedence. So I spent all of my time in the traditional synagogue until I left home, went to college, got crazy as can be, and sort of walked away from most things. And it was that time, which this is not an unfamiliar story for Jewish people at all. At that time, I was sort of living this reckless life. That was where I encountered the idea of Yeshua and um, 
course, it was as Jesus because I was in a very Catholic place, and so I knew I needed Jesus. And at that point, my story took that somewhat familiar shift toward all things church. I walked away from everything Jewish, abandoned it all, was told I didn't need any of that anymore, spent 10 years doing that. But along the way, my dad, mom and dad and brothers— all became disciples, but my dad was not willing to, thank God, abandon his Judaism. And so he started uh, a Messianic synagogue, and that is also a very long story, but it was through my dad's faithfulness to our heritage that he was able to bring me back, so to speak. Not that the church is something that I needed to be rescued from, but uh, obviously I had lost my Jewish heritage and my identity, really. Mm. So that was that was my journey back. And from there, obviously I've come a long way as I now lead a synagogue and work for First Roots of Zion. So I've certainly embraced my Messianic Jewish identity. I love that. I didn't know that about about your dad. So there's an original uh, Rabbi Eisner as well. Then, well, he, my dad's the planter. I mean, he's actually started two messianic synagogues. I currently run one of them. I see. Uh, and so he's he's the guy who gets it started. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I love that. But he taught me a lot of things, so I guess I could still call him rabbi. I usually call him dad, but you know. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think you should continue to call him dad. <laughs> he attends my synagogue. This is this doesn't matter, but he's also a physician. So at times I call him Dr. Dad Richard is his, you know, that's all of his. That's that's all of his things. Like that's all the titles I could I could imagine for him. That's what's on his business card. Yeah. <laughs> So talking about past, though, this brings up something. You just said you didn't know something about me. Well, I cert as a songwriter myself, I was very interested to find out that you did a stint in Nashville as, ah. a, as a songwriter. So I'm wondering if you're doing this podcast, but really <laughs> you're living this lavish lifestyle with massive country music royalties or, or has that not happened yet? Or, you know, I know it's Nashville is kind of competitive. Nashville's very competitive, which is uh, part of the reason why we're not having this conversation in my mansion by the lake uh, with oh, all my... Oh, darn. I did do a stint in Nashville as a songwriter. Wait, let me set this up for you guys. Okay, so okay. I'm right. I'm 13. Okay, go all the way back to 1999. I'm 13. Oh, okay. You, and you um, me, driving with my dad. You had me reeling there for a second. I'm like, wow. You've got a <laughs> oh, baby? oh, oh. No, 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 no. We violated some child labor laws here. <laughs> no, speaking of things you didn't know about me. Okay, going back to 1999. <laughs> I'm 13. I'm driving with my dad uh, down an old country road in Illinois, back country road in Illinois, uh, where we used to live. And um, I'm in our our blue Aerostar minivan, our 87 minivan. Oh, and my nice. dad turns on. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is a vintage. You had an Aerostar. Did you? No, I feel like everyone had an Aerostar. And then I, uh, oh, yeah. you know, that was my car going into high school. I mean, that was my, those were my wheels. So anyway, we're in our minivan uh, and my dad turns on the country music station. And it's the first time I ever heard country music. And so this is the ideal setting for this, right? And it's Tim McGraw's down on the farm. And I just turned to my dad and I said, where do they make this music? I loved it. 
And he said, Nash- Nashville, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I'm 13. And I said, okay, well, that's where, that's where I'm going to go one day. <laughs> when, I, when I'm able to, uh, to uh, go to college and, and pick the city I'm going to live in, I'm going to go to Nashville. So I did. Wow. Um, I was 20, 20 by the time I got to college. But um, that's another story. <laughs> so I did. I ended up in Nashville. I basically, guys, I just typed into Google. I typed in uh, Christian colleges in Nashville. (laughs) And I picked the first one and I applied and I got accepted like two days later. (laughs) Because you weren't really there to go to school. You were there to be. Exactly. I got it. it. Exactly. No, I had a whole other plan. So Mm. that's how I ended up in Nashville. And I did start writing um, music. I connected with some great songwriters. In fact, there's a songwriter who's also a believer. Her name's Kim McLean, and she's written for pretty much everybody. She took me under her wing, and that was a really, really cool friendship um, and mentorship. And so because of her, I got to take some songwriting courses and ended up playing in places like Bluebird Cafe, which is where, mm, you know. That's a big deal. It is. It is. Oh, gosh. I was so terrified. And yeah. <laughs> okay, so like the the night that I was supposed to play at Bluebird Cafe or the night before, I slammed my finger in a car door or something. And I was supposed to play mm. piano, you know, play piano and sing and some freaking out. I'm like twenty one years old, freaking out. Oh man, this is my this is my this is my shot and I totally blew it. it. But I I did it. I played uh played the whole set with uh, a very bruised, not broken, but a very bruised <laughs> finger. Anyway, it all worked out. I um I didn't sell any songs, unfortunately. However, and this is this is a rumor to me too because I have not confirmed this in person, but my friend Holly and I wrote a song together called Goldilocks Curls. I guess the song got pitched to Carrie Underwood and Carrie cut 12 tracks for her album back in probably about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Gosh. Ours was number 13. So, it was such a close shave. Mm. Such a close shave. Mm. But you know mm. what? It's okay. I'm here. I'm doing what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing. And if Carrie or anyone else ever decides they want to record Goldilocks Curls, that's the plug for that one. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> they are more than welcome to it. It's still out there, Carrie. Grab a hold it's of it. It's out there. It's a good one. Carrie, it's all yours. <laughs> it's a song whose time has come. <laughs> exactly. So obviously you did not end up in music. There was some shift that occurred. Not professionally, no. Do you still play music? I do. I used to be much, much better, but um, I always make sure that I have a keyboard or piano in my house. I take my little boy every other day. He's only four months, but I sit him on my lap and I let him just touch the keys and try to get him into it. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Yeah, he's always shocked when he makes a sound. (laughs) I had a little Kermit, like a little Muppet Baby's piano. Oh, you did? How did that work out for you? Um, Well, I don't have that one anymore still, but I have... um, I have like a Yamaha P22 or something in my house. I see. Okay, you, uh, you yeah, upgraded. Jacob's a fantastic musician. I'm sure you are too. So one day there will be a podcast. Oh my gosh, guys. Are we going to form a day. band? I'm so into Someday, that. Someday, maybe. Let's do I'm it. On a mission from God. I'm already thinking of the song like The Three Little Bears Tales. All right, we're brainstorming. This is good. Right. Well, until, until the vast uh, amounts of money begin pouring in from this album, we have yet to write... Uh, <laughs> we have some other stuff about you that's actually fairly interesting that I did not know, and that's that you are the director of a Hebrew school. Now, Messianic Judaism, I mean, I don't know if everyone listening to pos- the podcast knows this, Hebrew is fairly important 
like as far as Judaism goes, learning Hebrew is important. All the sources are in Hebrew. I think as far as God is concerned, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think he, as a matter of fact, I'm certain he wrote those first 10 things in Hebrew. So I think he likes Hebrew too. I think you're correct on that. Just want to throw that in there. Yeah, yeah, most of the Bibles in Hebrew. <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna raise good little Jewish boys and girls, they gotta learn Hebrew. They gotta go to Hebrew school. And so the UMGC has a Hebrew school, and you are the director. So tell us about how like how that happened, and, and about the need for Hebrew education and Messianic Judaism, and your passion for it. Yeah, we do have a Hebrew school. This is a fairly new project. I think it was, yeah, just about a year ago, last spring, I got a call from the executive director of the UMJC. And she said, hey, how would you like to be the director of an online Hebrew school? And uh, at that point in my life, I just found out that we were going to be having a baby. And I was thinking, okay, I need something more flexible as a career path. And so that was was a perfect transition. And it's something that I had actually really dreamed about for a long time, probably since I was about 15 or 16, I wanted to see a messianic school. And Hebrew Hebrew literacy is obviously really important. I mean, this is the heartbeat of our holy text, just like you said. It's in our prayers. It's the everyday vernacular of those of us who live in Israel, those of us who've returned to the homeland. Hebrew is the key to unlocking many other aspects of our culture and history and firmly believe that Hebrew literacy is a um, a foundational right for any child who's a part of the Jewish community. So we're going to make that red- readily available. And we also have woven in a component of Jewish education into the curriculum. So I'm busy writing that uh, when I'm mm. not here <laughs> doing this, <laughs> um, sort of week by week at this point, because everything's just uh, very new. This is obviously our our, pi- our pilot launch year. It's called Ashrenu School, by the way. Hmm. Rabbi Damien, mm-hmm. Ashrenu, what does that mean? Uh, it means something like, we are very happy, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. You, exactly. We are blessed. We are happy. We are content. We are fulfilled. We are overjoyed. Ashre is a fairly powerful word. It is, yeah. Well, that's why we chose it as the name for the school. I figured. Wanted to convey joy in our heritage, you know, not just like, oh, this is our responsibility to drill Hebrew into these kids' minds and, you know, everyone to be on the same page, but it's it's much more than that. So that's Ashrenu School. Um, it's going fairly well. We got 26 kids and from all across the United States and different time zones, which is super fun for all my teachers, my amazing, amazing teachers, really grateful for Mm, wow, what a what a year for you! I mean, <laughs> new, new new mom, new parents, taking on a new director role, taking on the the uh, producer role, co host at First Roots Zion podcast, Portion Connections. We talked about Nashville, and and obviously you didn't end up working with Carrie in Nashville, but you did make a pretty significant shift there, home to Chicago, where I know that you invested in Judaism and got your degree in Jewish studies, but you also then left Chicago, which is making me think of a song by ZZ Top called Jesus Just Left Chicago. So I'll say (laughs) Stephanie just left Chicago. Slightly less dramatic than Jesus leaving, but yes. (laughs) There is a very, very vibrant Messianic Jewish community in Chicago. I know several rabbis up there. Uh, Kurt Glebe, Devar Emet, mm-hmm. Olive Tree Congregation, Adat Hatikva. That's right. Which also, I'm the 
director of Torah Club, and there's a lot of Torah clubs up there at Adat. Oh, my goodness. Oldest Messianic yes. Jewish synagogue in the United States. Yes, it is. But you left Chicago, as Jacob has already referenced, to end up in Raleigh, North Carolina. When I think of thriving Jewish communities, I think of Skokie, Chicago, Crown Heights, L.A., North Dallas, Miami, but Raleigh <laughs> is not at the top of that list. So what's the state of Messianic Judaism in Raleigh, North Carolina? Is there a Chicago-style pizza, no, not pizza, thriving <laughs> Jewish community in Raleigh where you are now located? Well, most importantly, you can get the Chicago-style pizza at my house. I will hand-make that for you. So, um, Excellent. You can, you, I know. You can check that box off when you, whenever you come to Raleigh. As far as the Jewish community is concerned, there definitely is one. There's a Jewish community center. We were able to find a moil for our son's bris. I will say he's like the only one, but anyway— um, there's a JCC in Raleigh? There is. There's a JCC. Oh, my goodness. I'm so jealous. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so, no, there is. I mean, it's not like Skokie or at least what Skokie used to be or anything mm -hmm. like Crown Heights, but there's definitely a Jewish community here. And there is a wonderful Messianic Jewish congregation called Sha'arei Shalom, led by Rabbi Seth Clayman and um, his wife, Rachel. I like Seth. Yeah. yeah, they're fantastic people. And so, actually, my husband and I when we were deciding where we were going to live because, oh gosh, I was out in California. I'm from Chicago. He was living in DC. There's a great community in DC as well that he was a part of. Um, and we love those people there, but his family happens to be in North Carolina. So we wanted to be close to watch our nieces and nephews grow up, be a part of their lives, the rest of our family. But the one stipulation I made was that we're within at least 30 minutes of a good Messianic Jewish community. <laughs> and you know, those are those could be few and far between. I do know that. And yeah. you do know that. So um, Sha'are is fantastic. We're really, really glad to be there. A great Messianic Jewish community that's growing and thriving. I'm just thrilled that we get to raise our son there. Raleigh is definitely a place to, to visit. Also Damien's congregation, which I haven't been to yet. Yeah, it's a little ways from Raleigh, but everyone's invited. Macon, Georgia. We do not have a JCC. I always wanted to sort of see an MJCC pop up somewhere and just see how that. I know. See how that went. Let's do it. Add that to your resume for things to do next year. Oh yeah. Start right. the M MJ. <laughs> right. You have all kinds of time. Sorry. No. When I wake up in the when my kid wakes up in the morning, I'm like, all right, help mommy. We got a lot to do today. Right. There's a lot on the plate for Messianic Judaism. And I mean, I kind of love that. There's a lot of space for us to move forward. Yep. As fragmented and as, as difficult as some things can be in Messianic Judaism, there is so much space and potential for us to, to strengthen things and move forward. And I think a big part of that is what FFOZ is doing and what we're doing here. So Agreed. Baruch Hashem. I'm thrilled about that. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of difficulties and fragmentation in uh, Messianic Judaism. <laughs> what a segue. It's it comes with the territory. It comes it, it actually comes it does. you know from from both from both sides of our uh, of our of our spiritual family from the Jewish side. You know there's that old joke about this a guy who builds two synagogues on a desert island and when he gets rescued he's like why'd you build two? And he's like well, you had to have the one yeah. that you never go to and yeah, you know exactly. and, and obviously in Protestantism they you know they take their they take their schisms pretty seriously. That's true. It's so you know it comes with the territory. You used to work for JFJ Jews for Jesus. It probably 
Jews for Jesus is probably the most famous group of Jews for Jesus. I mean, it's true. They, I think they're the one that people have heard of more than anything else. So I think they get, you know, they get a lot of flack. I don't know how much of it's deserved because I don't, um, I, you know, I live in the middle of nowhere. There's hilariously, I live like 10 miles from the place where they make all the Hebrew national hot dogs and like all of them. <laughs> so um, there used to be a, one Jewish person in my town. And sure. he died. But there's there's just uh, there's not any Jews around here. I do know that um, that traditional Jews don't really like Jews for Jesus, and they created Jews for Judaism as a sort of like rebuttal organization to say like correct. you know to to to, to sort of anti missionary or counter missionary because to most people you can't be for Jesus and for Judaism. Like you would have to pick. Exactly. Like you'd have to be a Jew for Jesus or a Jew for Judaism. But here at First Street Zion, and I would say it'd be fair to say in the UMJC as well that people would say this: you can be, oh, of course. you can be a Jew for Jesus and a Jew for Judaism. So in Jews for Judaism, they would they would disagree with that. But I don't know about Jews for Jesus. Like, would it? What, did, uh, there's people in Jews, Jews for Jesus that would also say, yeah, you can be for Judaism, right? Or no? Oh yeah, absolutely. Look, okay, so just like within the broad spectrum of Judaism messianic or otherwise, right? You, it's, it's very broad. So you find people who are observant and those who aren't, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So, I mean, and it's no different at Jews for Jesus. I had the pleasure of knowing people who I agreed with in terms of our Judaism and Jewish practice. And I also had the pleasure of knowing people I didn't agree with in terms of how to practice Judaism and, and what all that means. There's many people within Jews for Jesus who truly value their Jewishness. And it's not just something that's a thing of the past for them, but it's something that guides their lifestyle and that they use to you know, draw near to Hashem and build a relationship with him. I think it's, I think it should be known that there's plenty of people within Jews for Jesus and other Jewish ministries are very much pro Jewish lifestyle, Jewish beliefs, Jewish ritual. I was surprised to encounter that uh, when I went to work at Jews for Jesus. Um, Fantastic people who really love their people and love Yeshua. I I would be surprised by that too, but the reputation is always dangerous to draw a conclusion from, you know, it really is. I completely agree with that. And unfortunately, there's lots of reputations floating around the Messianic Jewish world. Um, Some are founded and some are not. In, In Jews for Jesus, they may have, as you said, some different perspectives on some things, but that is kind of Judaism, on some level, yeah, we have different perspectives, and yet we have this this beautiful alignment. Exactly. Right well, here. I mean, when I lived in San Francisco, I would go to a Reform synagogue, um, you know, probably once a month for the young adult events, and I probably didn't agree with ninety eight percent of the people there. Not adopt, not just about Yeshua, like putting that aside. Right. I'm talking about like how to live a Jewish life, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be. Wherever you go, of all the places, like I can't imagine a a synagogue that might be might look different than what I'm expecting than a reform synagogue in San Francisco, California. I think that would probably be at the t- <laughs> at the top of the list. Now, all that to say, I didn't. I definitely didn't say that to rip on. No, it. I no, enjoyed no. my time yeah, there. Yeah. You know, but is it my style necessarily to burst into a Joni Mitchell song in the middle of a Torah service? Oh, man. Not so much my thing, but <laughs> it is some people's thing. So you know, all right, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. never works for you guys. I don't live in San Francisco anymore. Right. <laughs> Serious disciples want to get past shallow teaching 
understand their Bibles, and know Jesus better. Torah Club is a small group Bible study where disciples learn the Bible from a Jewish perspective through in-depth discussions and good fellowship. Start a club or join a club today at TorahClub.org. Torah Club is where disciples learn. Damien, let's talk about Torah Club. You are the director of Torah Club now. I am the director of Torah Club, yes. And so what is Torah Club? For those of our listeners who may not be familiar with the wonderful thing that is Torah Club, what is it? Why is it the best way to encounter the Bible in its Jewish context? Mm, that's a doozy of a first question from the producer. I know. That's, I mean, I, I don't play. It'll take me a long time. I'm gonna have, There's so much I could say about that. But let me, how about this very simple answer, Torah Club? is a community for discussion, shared learning, and good fellowship. Does that answer it? Is that No, it doesn't. That sounds like every other Bible study you've ever had or any other promotion. Yeah, where's your marketing guy? Torah it Club. Does. You got to keep going, man. Well, yeah. It is, I like to say, the fastest growing international network of Bible studies. Torah Club gives people different tools for understanding the Bible in its original context, its historical framework, and restoring the lost Jewish context. And that is such an important thing, sort of like this podcast where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. Torah Club changes everything. It is a weekly study that's conducted, again, internationally means around the world. So we have thousands of Torah Club students around the world that are getting together in living rooms, coffee shops, churches, communities, synagogues all over the place. So there's a lot about Torah Club. Um, and, and by the way, there's probably one near you. I invite you to go to TorahClub.org. There's a very big prominent button there that says join a club, which will take you to a, a what we call the club finder to be able to look and see if there is a Torah club in your area. And there probably are. So we've just, we just got a lot going on and it's a fantastic life-changing dive into the Bible in ways that people have really probably never experienced before. Yeah, I completely agree. I love, I'm a part of Torah club. I used to be a Torah club leader. Um, right. This, this Messianic Jewish teaching for Christians and Jews Torah Club has been a Messianic Jewish commentary on the Bible that has been around for decades. But over the last five years, this is the fifth year of Torah Club in its, in its current context with weekly workbooks, Torah Club leaders, all of those things. But I have observed what I will term the something's missing phenomenon in doing a lot of interviews. We interview every Torah club leader before they, they can start a club. There's a process, there's a vetting process. We know where they're coming from. And the thing that, that always comes up, it's not always, a lot of the time comes up is, why are you here, I ask? Something was missing. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you mean by that? I'm reading the Bible, yeah. and it's saying all these things that I don't understand. But like the Sabbath or like Jesus is in the synagogue or just any number of examples we could throw out. And, and, and I'm realizing it and I, they say I'm reading it and I realize, gosh, something's missing. Mm -hmm. And so I go and I ask my leadership or, or my elders or I ask them the question, why don't we do this if it's in here? Or why do we do this but it's not in here, whichever 
side of that coin you want to ask. Yeah. And the answer is for many of them, I'm not saying universally, for many of them is we just don't. Don't ask questions like that. Or that's old covenant or right. that's old testament or Jesus did away with that. Mm-hmm. And so when you read the Bible as a Jewish book and you understand the context and the audience, the idioms, all of these things, you begin to see, oh my goodness, there is a lot missing that I have just not learned. Yeah. And I've never been taught. Yeah, couldn't agree more. This is true, like, Damien, in my experience, not just of like the average uh, pew sitter, this is this is true of like like I went to Bible college right mm-hmm. right and I remember mm-hmm. like I, on my sophomore year I went to this I won't I won't say what school it was because uh, I might accidentally say something negative about it <laughs> but like they had so many rules right you couldn't you couldn't like borrow a pencil from someone that was technically against the rules you couldn't like play cards like what you couldn't go to the movie theater um, like there's a bunch of you couldn't have music with drums in it or whatever. And um, I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, none of this is in the Bible. Mm. And, and if they really wanted to just pile on rules, there are a ton of those right. in the Bible. But they didn't pick those. They sort of came up with their <laughs> exactly. own. And that was sort of a common sentiment among the student body is like, sort of, the rules seemed like sort of random. And if you were looking for some, you, you would know you could go find some in like Leviticus or whatever, but they didn't do that. So, I, you know, even coming from like Bible college, I had a lot to learn. I still, I still felt like something was missing, and I found that like Torah Club and First Design was super helpful for me. If the teachers don't know, how in the world are the students going to know? And oh I use gosh, that precisely. as an example of the 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 pastors and the seminary educated leaders. And again, please, listeners, understand not being critical, I'm not being haughty, we do not have every answer. Certainly there are things we discover along the way that we have wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying we're perfect, but if, you, if the, it's never taught, it can never be passed down. Precisely. And so a lot of our religious educational institutions have discarded or denied or, or, or I don't know, some, some other word that starts with dis, uh, have just gotten away with all things Jewish, and the Bible is a Jewish book. You can't read the Bible and not see the Jewishness in it if you're really reading it. And well, so, I completely agree. I think it's just it's good to clarify these things, especially for those listening who may not yet be familiar with with that concept or with with our ministry, because there's so many. Christian people out there who aren't Jewish, if they hear, oh, wait, the Jewish context of the Bible, is that just being sort of projected upon it? Or is the Bible a Jewish book? And if it is, is there anything in it for me who's not Jewish? Am I going to be able to relate to it? Is Jesus still for me? All these different questions that might pop up. Well, I would recommend Ephesians for that question. Ephesians <laughs> so 2, I. as a matter of fact. Ephesians 2, just read it for fun. It's it's a life changer <laughs> for how it applies to us as disciples of Messiah. Do you have any stories about how people's lives are being impacted, transformed by Torah Club? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I have a lot <laughs> of stories. Uh, I know, oh, a, a, a thousand or so Torah Club leaders, um, and each one of them, if they could have a podcast to share their stories, it would probably be transformative for for the, the religious world. Um, I won't say any names because I don't have permission, but there is mm-hmm. a there's a group in 
Pennsylvania who one lady start, her lady and her husband they started a Torah club out of that Torah club came another eight or nine Torah clubs of this is a small community in Pennsylvania and now at least a hundred something people in this small community are engaging and life-changing Bible study because of one seed. Now, what you know the rule in med school, which is um, uh, see one, do one, teach one. Have you ever heard that rule about that's that's how medical students are supposed to observe procedures and different things? See one, do one, teach one. That's how you learn. So what we've this what conversation we've seen. is as close as I've gotten to medical school. So okay, that sounds, all right. <laughs> see one. Good, I, once, I once saw an episode of House <laughs> on television. Does that count? <laughs> but sure. but I've applied that to what's happening with the growth in Torah Club because a Torah Club mm-hmm. student sits for a while. It, some leaders will ask a, a Torah Club student to participate and maybe leading a section during the week or filling in for a week for them. So they're, they've they've seen one, then they do one, and then ultimately out of that they say, "Oh my goodness, my life is." totally different. My relationship with God, my mm. understanding of the Bible. There are so many people I know who I want to share this with. And so then, guess what happens next? Teach one. They start a Torah exactly. club. So that happens there. There's a Torah club in Missouri who, because they were studying the 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 wisdom of God, the 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 Torah, the instruction of God, mm-hmm. they they were moved to um, send sewing machines to a group of women who were rescued from trafficking in Nepal, help them establish wow. a business where they use their sewing machines to, um, they have a business now. They built a home for a widow and her four children. This is not a church that's doing this. This is a little group of people mm-hmm. studying the Bible together. And there are so I many stories. And, and, and I'll just, let me conclude it with this. Uh, I have all these code terms that I use for Torah Club. The something's missing phenomenon. There's another idea that I called the Hineni Torah Club. You know, the, the good... You asked me about Hebrew, Stephanie. Hineni, what does this mean? I'm here. Here am I. Right. Here am I. I've had a lot of people who would apply to become a Torah club leader and say, I don't know anyone in my area. I'm just hoping that someone will come along. Mm-hmm. So I call that the, like, I'm raising my hand to leadership. I'm the, this is the Hineni Torah club. And, you know, in six months, sometimes a month, sometimes six months, sometimes a year, you, you check back with these leaders, and now they've got 8, 10, 12 people. One guy had knew no one, said, I'm going to start a club. Hmm. Had a Torah club of 16 people in a year. Wow. The next year was leading a Seder at a church for like 40 or 50 people. Um, wow. wow. So this is, this, there is a hunger out there. Yes, there is. To know we have all this criticism about, well, faith is dying, religious institutions are dead, the next generation is spiritually dead. They're not dead. Mm-hmm. They want to ask legitimate questions. They want to have discussion. They want to be able to disagree. They want to challenge things they've always been told. So Torah Club does all this. Beautiful. I've seen with my own eyes just how Torah Club can can transform people's way of thinking and relating to not just other people in the church, but to the greater Jewish community. And it's 
It's an excellent resource, an excellent tool. And Damien, thank you so much for your your work regarding that, being being the leader and especially ministering to the to the leaders who who need the support uh, to keep working with their with their own communities. Um, Truly my pleasure. It's it is this sounds incredibly dramatic, but it is changing the world and we're just getting started. Oh, I believe that. That's why I'm here. <laughs> that is the main reason why I'm here. Baruch Hashem. And Damien, I'm really sad that uh, we're personally even that we're just not going to get the chance to chat more on the podcast, but I know you've got lots of important work to do like this and other things within FFOZ. And we look forward to seeing the culmination of all that hard work you're doing. So thank you for your years on the podcast and your hard work outside of it. Absolutely. Again, my pleasure. It's been, it's been, it's been a whole time, Damien. We, we spent, yeah, I know, but w- w- when, when Damien and I were put on the podcast together, I don't think I actually knew who he was at all. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so it was just, it was just like, uh, <laughs> who is this guy? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, working together and, and um, getting to know you a little bit has been a joy and a pleasure. And I'm, and I'm, and you know, we still work for the same, uh, we still both work for first fruits. So I'm sure our, our paths will cross, but um, I'll miss the t- I'll miss the time that we spent in front of microphones here, you know, just just share, sharing, sharing our lives with each other. It's definitely a, it's a it's a bittersweet departure knowing that your your time is going to be spent doing something that's um and just incredibly important for the kingdom. Well, I will be enjoying listening to you guys continue the work. I remember that when when they threw us into the podcast. No, they didn't. We we volunteered <laughs> for this because we love it. We did, yeah. We, we did, did both volunteer. But I remember I I only knew you from books and a few lectures, and I mean, and and the task was all right. Start a podcast and make it sound like you really like each other, right? You have to do yeah. that. You got to have chemistry. And mm-hmm. thank God <laughs> it took about fifteen minutes for me to like you and develop chemistry. The first fifteen was really questionable. I didn't know where we were going to go for that, but. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it connected. Thank you for it's your a, work. Thank you for your work. I'm a little work. bit of an acquired taste, I think some people find. Uh, <laughs> well, Damien, hopefully we can convince you to come back for a visit at some point. And, um, I'll be around. Well, thank you to our many loyal listeners for tuning in once again in season three. We're so glad. We're so glad that you've come back to walk us through this season. And I've been a longtime listener myself, so I'm really excited to be the new producer for this wonderful podcast. And I think we've all got a lot more to say and can't wait to see how Messiah podcast changes the world, but we need you guys to help us do that. Right, Jacob? Yeah. Unlike, uh, unlike many podcasts, the listeners here outnumber the hosts by, uh, orders of magnitude. So (laughs) if you love the podcast and you want it to grow, um, share some episodes with your friends, put them up on social media, um, rate us five stars, on whatever your favorite podcast dissemination service might be and help us get the word out about Messiah podcast. Yes, please help us do that. Look for our next episode. It's coming out soon. We've got a fascinating conversation coming up with Messianic Jewish Rabbi Aaron Alsbrook about Messianic Jewish matchmaking. Who even knew that wow. was a thing, right? Someone needs that episode. Someone definitely needs that episode. We'll talk more about that. And I'm really looking forward to that conversation. All right. So tune in next time for that fascinating episode. And until then, shalom, friends. Shalom.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. This podcast is brought to you by First Fruits of Zion and is an extension of Messiah Magazine. Subscribe for free at messiahmagazine.org. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review along with a five-star rating wherever you're listening now. Today's podcast was produced by myself, Stephanie Hammond, and co-hosted with Jacob Fronzak. Our executive producer is Boaz Michael, and the editor-in-chief is Daniel Lancaster. This episode was directed and edited by Jeremy Schoenwald. Original music was written and performed by Joshua Aaron. The show notes for Messiah Podcast were edited by Candy Bishop and are available at messiahpodcast.org. If you're interested in learning more about the Bible from a Messianic Jewish perspective, check out Torah Club, which is an international network of small study groups who meet weekly to discuss the Bible together from a Messianic Jewish perspective. To start a club or join a club, go to TorahClub.org. Until next time, Shalom.